0: Section twenty five of the Science History of the Universe, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science History of the Universe, Volume Three, edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Electricity, Chapter Seven The Development of Electrochemistry. The striking effects brought about by electricity formed the subject of much study about the middle of the 18th century. At that time, friction electrical machines were in use, and in order to intensify the effects produced, very large machines were constructed. The most famous of these is still to be seen in the Taylor Museum in Harlem. Peter Beccaria, some 130 years ago, by using such machines, found that metals could be revivified, that is, reduced, from their calces, oxides when the electric spark was passed between two pieces in this way he obtained zinc and mercury some time later priestley investigated the action of the electric spark on air and observed that an acid was produced he mistook this for carbonic acid until cavendish recognized it as nitric acid van marum studied the behaviour of several other gases in this path of the electric spark which led him to notice the formation of ozone and made experiments also by passing the spark through liquids before him priestley had discovered that in oil and ether the electric spark produces gas and proved that this gas contained hydrogen the first actual electrolysis was made by diemen and peitz von trustwick in haarlem in seventeen eighty nine in which they successfully decomposed water into hydrogen and oxygen in their experiments, the water was contained in a cylindrical tube closed at the top and having a metal wire sealed into its upper end. Another metal wire was introduced into the lower end of the tube, which dipped into a basin of water. When the spark struck through the water, bubbles of gas were disengaged from the metal wires, and rising in the tube gradually displaced the water. As soon as the column of water sank below the upper electrode, the gas, which was a mixture of hydrogen and oxygen, exploded. This experiment was later repeated by Ritter using silver wires and a solution of a silver salt, and he observed that the negative pole became coated with precipitated silver. On changing the poles, silver was dissolved from one and deposited on the other, now the negative pole. In Diemen's experiment, oxygen and hydrogen were simultaneously formed, both at the positive and at the negative poles, so that the process was not a true electrolytic one like that of Ritter's. The whole state of the science was changed in a great degree by the discoveries of Galvani, and particularly by those of Volta. In 1795, Volta arranged the metals in a series according to their behavior in Galvanic experiments, and in 1798 Ritter showed that the same series is obtained when the properties of the metals to separate other metals from their salt solutions are compared. Quote, after the introduction of Volta's pile in 1800, the physiological and optical phenomena were less studied, unquote, remarks Sven Arrhenius in his textbook of electric chemistry, Quote, and more attention was paid to the chemical actions. As opposed to the electrical machines, these piles gave large quantities of electricity at a comparatively low potential. Nicholson and Carlyle in 1800 studied the evolution of oxygen and hydrogen in salt solutions at immersed gold electrodes, which were connected with the poles of a voltaic pile, and observed that litmus in the neighborhood of the positive pole was turned red by the acid produced there. Some years later, Davy made his brilliant electrochemical discoveries. He succeeded in decomposing the oxides of the alkali and alkaline earth metals, which had previously been regarded as elementary substances, and in preparing the pure metals. Further progress in obtaining the more difficultly reducible metals in this way was later made by Bunsen and his pupils. Unquote. At the time of Davy's discovery of the alkali metals, Berzelius was just beginning his scientific investigations. In one of the first of these, carried out jointly with Hisinger, he studied the action of the electric current upon solutions of various inorganic substances, resulting chiefly in the establishment of the first electrochemical theory. This theory dominated the science of chemistry for many decades. According to it, each chemical atom, when in contact with another, possesses, like a magnet, an electropositive and an electronegative pole. Moreover, one of these poles is usually much stronger than the other. Consequently, an atom behaves as if it possessed but one pole, either electropositive or electronegative, according as the positive or negative pole, respectively, predominates in strength the magnitude and sign of this resultant polarity upon the atoms of a given element determines its chemical behaviour. If, for instance, the atoms of an element are electropositive, it will react with elements whose atoms are electronegative, and conversely. During this reaction, the two kinds of electricity neutralize each other more or less completely according to the degree of inequality existing between the positive and negative charges upon the reacting atoms. If complete neutralization does not take place, the resulting compound itself is electropositive or electronegative, according as the electropositive are greater or less than the electronegative charges upon the component atoms. Compounds which thus possess a resultant polarity may then enter into further combinations with each other in such a way as to form a complex compound which is more nearly or quite neutral. Thus the theory explains not only the formation of simple compounds from their elements, but also the formation of complex compounds, such as double salts, from their component simple compounds. According to this theory, chemical and electrical processes are closely related, and all compounds have a dualistic nature, being formed of an electropositive and an electronegative component. This theory is therefore known as the electrochemical or dualistic theory. It was applied throughout the domain of inorganic chemistry, which at that time was practically the entire science of chemistry, and although it contained many arbitrary assumptions, it performed a great service to science because of its systematizing influence. For several decades after the establishment of the dualistic theory, no considerable advance was made in electrochemistry. This lack of progress was soon counterbalanced by the important discoveries which were made by Faraday about the year 1835. He was the first to show that whether electricity is produced by friction or by means of a voltaic pile it is capable of producing the same effects. This fact convinced him that there exists but one kind of positive and one of negative electricity. He next attempted to discover a relation between the quantity of electricity flowing through a circuit and the magnitude of the chemical and magnetic effects which it could produce. His results may be expressed as follows. The magnitude of the chemical and magnetic effects produced in a circuit by an electric current is proportional to the quantity of electricity which passes through the current. A further discovery was made by Faraday by comparing the quantities of different substances in solution which are decomposed by the same quantity of electricity. This comparison may be made in a very simple manner, by connecting into one circuit a series of solutions of different substances so that the same quantity of electricity passes through each solution. The chemical decomposition produced by the electric current in each solution may then be determined by analysis. The results obtained may be summarized as follows. The quantities of the different substances which separate at the electrodes throughout the circuit are directly proportional to their equivalent weights, and are independent of the concentration and the temperature of the solutions, the size of the electrodes, and all other circumstances. Those who first recognize the decomposition of water by the electric current sought an explanation for the simultaneous appearance of hydrogen at one electrode and of oxygen at the other it was not until 1805 however that a comprehensive theory for this phenomenon was put forward during that year such a theory was published by grotus according to this theory the electric current charges one electrode positively and the other negatively and these charged electrodes then exert an electrical influence upon the water molecules under this influence, the water molecules acquire a polarity, the hydrogen atom becoming charged with positive, and the oxygen atom with negative electricity. The positive electrode then attracts the negatively charged oxygen atom, and the negative electrode the positively charged hydrogen atom, causing the water molecules to arrange themselves in a row or chain. As science gradually developed, the imperfections of the theory advanced by Grotus became more and more apparent. According to this theory, the splitting of the molecule, which is necessary for the conduction of electricity, cannot take place until the electromotive force is sufficiently great to overcome the affinity or cohesion between the two components of a given compound. As a matter of fact, however, it was found that, under suitable conditions of experiment, it is possible to cause an electric current to pass through a solution even when the electromotive force of the current is extremely small clausius was the first to direct attention to the disagreement of the Grotus theory or conception of electrolysis with facts basing his conclusions upon the experimental results already obtained he declared quote, every assumption to be inadmissible which requires the natural condition of a solution of an electrolyte to be one of equilibrium in which every positive ion is firmly combined with its negative ion and which at the same time requires the action of a definite force in order to change this condition of equilibrium into another, differing from it only in that some of the positive ions have combined with other negative ions than those with which they were formerly combined. Every such assumption is in contradiction to Ohm's law." Unquote. At about the same time that Clausius advanced this theory, Hittorf began work upon the migration of the ions, and a little later Kohlrausch commenced experiments upon the electrical conduction of solution. The work of these investigators greatly increased the knowledge of the process of electrolysis. Making use of their work, Arrhenius, in 1887, replaced the theory of vibrating ions of Clausius by the theory of free ions. According to the material conception of electricity, an ion may be considered to be a compound of positive or negative electrons with the element in question the formation of an ion is then entirely analogous to the formation of a compound from two ordinary elements for instance in the formation of ions from sodium iodide the sodium atoms combine with positive and the iodine atoms with negative electrons this conception is very comprehensive for according to it the law of electrochemical change faraday's law appears as a consequence of the laws of definite and multiple proportion although the theory of electrolytic disassociation was not spared great opposition in its early years it has successfully advanced until at the present time by far the greater number of investigators accept it and recognize its value Quote, it would be impossible to give in a few words a clear conception of all the reasons which led Arrhenius to adopt his now almost universally accepted views Unquote. says langbein in his electro-deposition of metals Quote, and a short statement of these views must therefore suffice he discovered that according to the degree of dilution and the nature of their combination salts and aqueous solutions are to a more or less far-reaching extent decomposed into independent portions that is the ions and the term electrolytic dissociation is applied to this phenomenon only combinations which dissociate are decomposed and thus form ions can be conductors of the current the progressive motion of the latter being solely taken care of and effected by the ions. The ions are supposed to be charged with a certain quantity of electricity, the cathions with positive, the anions with negative electricity, and so long as current passes through to the electrolyte, they move free in the latter. However, when a current is conducted through the electrolyte, the ions are attracted by the electrodes, the positively charged cations by the negatively charged cathode, and the negatively charged anions by the positively charged anode. By reason of these movements of the ions to the electrodes, this phenomenon is called migration of the ions. The ions on reaching the electrodes are freed of their charge, that is, they yield their electricity to the electrodes. They lose thereby their ion nature, being transformed by their separation on the electrodes into the allotropic or isomeric form of the element or combination." Unquote. After the true action of Volta's pile had been discovered, the first modification was to immerse the plates of copper and zinc in the liquid. This arrangement gave a more powerful and lasting effect than the original pile. Volta arranged the cells in a circle and called such a battery a crown of cups. In 1806, the Royal Institution of London became possessed of a battery of 2,000 elements on the trough system. It was with this apparatus that Davy succeeded in decomposing potash and soda. This simple type of cell would, however, only work for a short time, on account of the collection of bubbles of gas on the plates. That is, the cells became polarized. Becquerel studied this effect and succeeded in overcoming it to a great extent in 1829 by employing two different liquids separated by a porous partition, each of which enclosed one of the electrodes. In 1863, Professor Daniel invented the cell known by his name and which is one of the most constant current cells ever made, although not so powerful as some. The zinc and copper electrodes are here separated by a jar of porous earthenware, the zinc being surrounded by dilute sulfuric acid, and the copper by a saturated solution of sulfate of copper. This latter solution is the depolarizer, acting to prevent the bubbles of hydrogen from collecting on the copper plate as would be the case in the simple cell. Instead of hydrogen being thrown out at the copper pole, copper is deposited from the sulfate of copper depolarizer so that this solution becomes constantly weaker and the copper heavier. To prevent the weakening, sulfate crystals are added occasionally. This battery has been much employed in telegraphic work. A form of this cell known as the gravity cell has been much used for this purpose, the porous partition having here been done away with, and the separation of the liquids affected by the difference in their densities in eighteen thirty nine grove introduced a cell in which the depolarizer was strong nitric acid which surrounded a platinum plate this is a much more powerful depolarizer than sulphate of copper and the cell was very energetic it had however the disadvantage of high cost and gave off disagreeable fumes the first drawback was overcome by professor bunsen in eighteen forty three who substituted for the platinum plate one of gas-retort carbon. The fumes, however, still remained. This battery was useful to the early experimenters, as it furnished a strong and constant current. Another good depolarizer is chromic acid. This is used in the same manner as nitric acid in the carbon-zinc cell of Bunsen. It does not, however, give off fumes, and yet is almost as powerful as the Bunsen cell. Various forms of this cell have been made, and they have been extensively used, especially for telephone work. They deteriorate only slightly on standing. Perhaps the most extensively used primary cell is the Leclance. This is also a zinc-carbon cell, but sal-ammoniac is used to replace the sulfuric acid of the preceding cells, and the depolarizer is the black oxide of manganese. This depolarizer is slow in its action, and the cell is, therefore, not good for constant current work, but it has a very slow rate of deterioration. This cell is very extensively manufactured in the dry form, in which the exciting fluid is held as a moist paste. The cell is not entirely dry, however, as is sometimes supposed, for if it dries out, it ceases to work. One of the most recent primary cells, as well as the best, is the zinc-copper oxide cell of Leland. In the Edison form of this cell, the copper oxide is pressed into plates and mounted in the cell between two zinc plates. The exciting fluid is caustic potash. The copper oxide acts as the depolarizer and is reduced to metallic copper. The cell is very efficient, has a long life, and does not deteriorate on standing. Thousands are now in use for such work as operating railway signals, sparking gas engines, etc., the existence of secondary currents was discovered by Ritter in 1803. Having substituted to the actions of a volta's pile another pile formed only of disks of copper, separated by moist cloth, he remarked that this second pile, though inactive by itself, gave in its turn an electric current in the opposite direction to the current of the first pile. This current was of but short duration, and the electromotive force was lower than that of the pile used in charging it. In eighteen twenty six de la Rive also found that a secondary or inverse current could be obtained from plates of platinum upon which oxygen and hydrogen had been disengaged in the experiment of the decomposition of water by a battery this phenomenon took the name of polarization of the electrodes and the current itself that of the current of polarization after that secondary currents were the object of many researches made by physicists among whom many may be mentioned faraday grove wheatstone Poggendorff, e becquerel and gauguin in eighteen fifty nine gaston plant studied the influence of different metals and different liquids on the production of secondary currents and on their intensity since that date the question has assumed great importance having received scientific and practical applications due mainly to the researches of this acute observer he experimented on voltameters with wires of copper silver tin aluminum iron zinc gold and platinum and for each of them varied the nature of the liquid into which the electrodes were placed he found that quote, all the metals oxidizing at the positive pole of the cell the secondary current obtained after the interruption of the primary current was as much more intense as the oxidation was more complete if the oxide form remained adherent and insoluble in the acidulated liquid of the voltameter. Even gold and silver did not resist the action of the oxygen of the pile. They were covered with dark deposits of oxide and furnished an energetic secondary current. Platinum did not oxidize, it is true, in a visible manner, but the secondary inverse current was of shorter duration than that of the metals which were covered with a layer of adherent oxide an effect which was explained by the rapid decomposition of the oxygenated water produced around the positive electrode of the voltameter the action of the hydrogen was on the other hand stronger with platinum than with all the other metals for the electrode around which this gas was disengaged furnished with another neutral electrode a more intense secondary current than when any other metal was employed the most important result of these interesting researches is that which assigns the greatest intensity to the secondary current produced by a voltameter with electrodes of lead and dilute sulfuric acid as the liquid. Measuring the electromotive force developed in such a voltameter after the rupture of the primary current, plott found it was equal to about one and a half times, more exactly 1.48 to 1.49, that of the most energetic voltaic element such as a grove or Bunsen. This suggested the idea of constructing secondary cells and uniting them in a battery so as to store up or accumulate the work of the voltaic pile, in the same way that static electricity is condensed by the aid of conductors of great surface separated by an insulating material. The action in a storage cell is as follows. When the battery is charged, the positive plate consists of lead peroxide and the negative of pure lead in a spongy condition. When the cell discharges, both plates become a form of lead sulfate. Upon being charged by having a reverse current sent through them, they are reformed into lead peroxide and sponge lead. If the plates were platinum, oxygen would be given off where the current enters and hydrogen where it leaves. But with the lead sulfate plates, the oxygen and hydrogen combine, thus oxidizing one and reducing the other. Storage cells have many uses. They are employed in large sizes in central power stations to equalize the load on the machinery, serving to help the engines carry the maximum loads so that they are not strained. Electric automobiles are largely used, but the weight of the battery seriously handicaps their other excellent qualities. They also find application in lighting trains, operating industrial locomotives, supplying telephone lines, and igniting gas engines. End of section twenty five. Electricity, chapter seven.